Salute and greetings to Rewind the Clock. And today we've got a very special guest who is, I should say, should we call you the curator maybe of the Nant Garu China Museum here in, well, Forest, I was going to say. So if you'd like to just introduce yourself, young man. Uh, indeed. Uh, I'm Charles Fountain. I'm the director of Nant Garu China Works and Museum. Um, just few miles north of Cardiff, really, just, uh, as you say, just down the road into Forest, this, uh, Mancaro, technically. Yes, this is true. And if I don't mind, I've got two questions together here, okay? So the first two, at basically, is this. Um, how you got involved, and how would you describe your role? Okay. Uh, I, I came into this role from a very strange route, actually. I spent almost all of my life working in IT and telecoms. Okay. Generally in, in marketing <laughs> positions. Um, oh, wow. And got a bit fed up with living out of hotels and travelling up and down the M4 <laughs> and thought I'd like to spend more time at home and actually follow a passion that I've had most of my life, which is the arts and heritage sector. Oh, wow. So I did a little bit of work for a number of, of different sort of heritage and museums and uh, was invited to come to Nankaro to help them out uh, to improve their marketing and really fell in love with the place and felt there's a huge opportunity for growth here. So I started working as a consultant and eventually was asked to take over as director. Oh, wow. Which is about four years ago. Gosh, it's like a, it's like a change, is there really? Do you know what I mean? So <laughs> that's a good idea. I'm all for that sort of thing. Obviously, the last two years, things have been a bit slightly different because of COVID. So um, have you, how did you manage with COVID? And did you take the opportunity to like improve things? That's... Well, it's, it's obviously very difficult for a museum like us. We derive our revenue which keeps us going um from the doors being open right. so during covid we were closed for the best part of a year and in order to to try and find some new revenue streams we had to look at different ways so uh, all of our retail revenue we we sell quite a lot from our shop here we transferred all of that online oh right um, all the workshops that we were running we couldn't run anymore so we started running them online um sort of pay on demand uh, videos showing people different um, pottery and fused glass techniques etc uh, and we pushed quite heavily for, for donations and things um, and uh, also took advantage of the various grants that were available both from the, the Welsh government and more local authorities as well so we've, we've come through relatively unscathed well, that's good. actually we've, we've bounced back very well the last two quarters have been record quarters in terms of revenue oh, so wow. um, you know, we're, we're, we're looking forward with uh, guarded optimism yes. for 2022. <laughs> that sounds good. So is there anything special for Christmas, though, they're going to do at the China Museum where they're just going to just keep it normal and then wait till next year? Uh, I think we'll, we'll keep it fairly normal. Uh, we, we run 450 workshops on site and uh, they run up wow. until the week before Christmas. Um, but I think uh, at that time, everyone's going to have a, a break for a few weeks and, and start refreshed in the, in the new, new year. year. <laughs> um, save on the heating bills as well with electricity, the price it is. This is true. You're right, though. I give you that credit. But um, I, I came across the uh, China Museum a few years ago because I was doing a history degree at uh, South Wales. And a group of us were tasked with doing a, a Wikipedia page with, on, on the actual museum. So a couple of us came down, okay. had a look around. It was fascinating to see. And uh, what I liked was the person who took us down the little the hill you've got, or the flagstones, into the workshop, 
was fascinating to see. But they showed us part of that, of the canal was still there, but the canal was still there, which I thought fascinating. But I also like was outside, I'm assuming you're going to still do this, is that the flowers outside, the building going in, are flowers indicative to the 19th century. Are they still, is that still part of it now, or are you going to change? Oh, very much so. So what Nankaro China Works was famous for is, is producing... Uh, what's often regarded as the world's finest porcelain. That is true. And a lot of that was decorated with uh, floral scenes, um, flowers, roses. In fact, William Billingsley, who founded Factory, was renowned for his ability to paint roses. So when they actually refurbished the, the properties in the 19, 1980s, they felt it appropriate to put the same sorts of flowers on site okay. um, and same sort of planting as there would have been 200 years ago. So it keeps that very much in the theme and it works very well today because we teach botanical painting oh so wow we actually teach people, uh, how to paint flowers based on flowers that are found on site oh, and uh, that's almost been um a complete reflection on what they did 200 years ago yeah. they, they actually taught flower painting to young ladies of the local area <laughs> uh, back in the sort of 1820s wow because what i find fascinating with the porcelain when you actually because it's also expensive if you have to come across one isn't it because they're very rare but what I noticed well, about... You, you know, a Nankaro plate can fetch £40,000. Wow. <laughs> that is true, because I've seen them, and they're absolutely... The colours are brilliant. But I find it's just like... Um, I, don't, I don't think it's meant to be, is it? It's part of it. It looks like a fly, doesn't it? Like a, on the dish itself, the plate, some of them. I don't even see that. Yeah. Is well, it a, yeah, what often they do used to do... It was very, very difficult to make this type of porcelain. And in fact, 90% of it was destroyed in the kilns. So a lot of it had faults and flaws. And because of its extreme value and extreme quality, they often tried to disguise those flaws. That's, yeah. So if they had a <laughs> hole in the porcelain, they put a little fly or a little bee or insects <laughs> to, to, to cover it. And then that became part of the decoration. Right, it looks, like I said, people, you must look at it because it's absolutely superb when you see these plates. and they're just superb under the colours and what can I say now you've mentioned him so we have to talk about him what can you tell us about William Billingsley because you brought him up well, you see yeah. <laughs> an interesting character um, born in the, the, the middle of the 18th century uh, in Derby where he was apprenticed as a, as a painter of porcelain at Derby factory Right. and, and he quickly established himself as probably the, the greatest painter of botanical scenes of his generation but after a few years, he got a bit <laughs> fed up with painting and actually wanted to try and create a better ceramic body because it was all a bit grey and a bit dingy and he wanted something that was whiter and more translucent. And he left Derby and he set up um, actually two or three different companies to try and make this new porcelain. Right. Um, but on every occasion, he kept running out of money oh. because it's an incredibly expensive thing to do. So he got a bit of a reputation for starting a factory, running out of money, oh. uh, having debts, going somewhere else, somewhere else in the UK, <laughs> setting up another factory. And eventually ended up in Worcester. Um, was oh, working at the Worcester factory, trying to improve their porcelain and created this new amazing porcelain there. But it had such a high failure rate that oh. Worcester were reluctant to take it on board. But what they did is they said, here's 200 pounds for the rights to your porcelain which means that you can make it, but you can't sell it to anybody else. Oh. <laughs> so he took this £200 and then, in the middle of the night, left Worcester with his two daughters and his son-in-law, <laughs> and all four of them 
uh, I say, escaped Worcester in the middle of the night with wow. his two hundred pounds, which was a lot of money in yeah. eighteen twelve, <laughs> and uh, arrived at Nankaroo, where he set up a, a factory to use this new amazing recipe that he developed. Oh wow! And because uh, with all this, did you did you go to Swans as well? Was that before Nankaroo? Or, or... It was just after, because just after he started at Swat at Nankaroo, he was having this quite high failure rate. Right. And uh, running out of money quite quickly. <laughs> you know, same yeah. thing as was going on before, really. Mm. So he approached the British government, the border trade, and said, look, I've created a porcelain which is better quality than Sev in France or Meissen in Germany, but I just need a little bit of government support, financial support, to make it more reliable. And in uh, traditional government fashion, they didn't give him any money. <laughs> But they said, why don't you go down and talk to this chap, Lewis Weston Dillwyn, at the Swansea factory? Because he's got ambitions to make porcelain. Right. And he's got a lot of money and resources. Oh, OK. So Billingsley went down there. Uh, but there was a bit of a conflict because Lewis Weston Dillwyn was a businessman who was prepared to sacrifice the quality for reliability. Yeah. Whereas yeah. Billingsley was a purist and his porcelain was whiter, more translucent than any other porcelain ever made by any factory anywhere in the world and he wasn't prepared to compromise that well no so after about a year he left Swansea <laughs> and came back and started again at Nankaroo oh that's good and the good thing about Nankaroo is is that as well is that um, you got the canal by it wasn't there which helped to transport and also absolutely the, coal. the canal well there's two things that you need to make a porcelain factory you need lots of coal yep because your bottle ovens eat it by huge quantities and you need transport. And you need transport to bring in your raw ingredients, particularly China clay from Cornwall. Yeah. Um, and other ingredients from elsewhere. And then you need to be, excuse me, to be able to ship it um, to where you, where it needs to be. In case of Nangaro, a lot of it was decorated in London. So it was shipped by the Glamorganshire Canal, which runs alongside the site yeah. to Cardiff and then on to London. So that would help in a way with breakages, wouldn't it, I suppose? And then you come across then, is it the Pardew family? That, they... Yeah, so, so most Nankaroo was made and glazed at the factory and then sent to London for decoration. So this was for very, very high-end clients like the Prince Regents and oh, those wow. sorts of likes. Um, but they were still having quite a high failure rate. And by 1819, um, Coalport was seeing Nankaroo as a bigger, big competitor in the market. Right. And they effectively lured William Billingsley to go and work for them. Oh. Um, really, that was just to close down the Nankaroo factory because they uh, bought all the moulds and destroyed them and had all the kilns removed. Oh. Um, but what that meant is that no more porcelain could be made at that stage. But there was a lot of porcelain that was on site right. that hadn't been decorated and hadn't been sent to London. So the other investors brought in this chap called Thomas Pardo, right. who was a, an independent decorator, and he lived on site at Nankaroo for three years and basically decorated all the remaining porcelain. So you get oh. two types. You get London decorated, really ornate, made for top-end clients, and then you get locally decorated, which has got less gilding in, more space on it for more provincial clients. And it's actually that porcelain which is more um, collected and more valuable today than the London um, porcelain. Wow. <laughs> Gosh. And obviously, because of the kilns, and you have to get it at a certain temperature, didn't they build... Is it a... Ha the, the fireman, did he have his own house there or is it a set series of houses for the workers? It's just on the side, isn't it? Well, yeah, the, the, the <laughs> thing about uh, these bottle kilns is they were really difficult to fire and they took six days to fire. 
Wow. So it took two days to have to get it up to temperature, two days to keep it at temperature, and two days to cool down. And particularly with a porcelain like Nankari porcelain, having a constant temperature is absolutely yes. essential to stop it all collapsing and failing in the kiln. And so the fireman was the most important, the one responsible for um, heating the kilns, was the most important man on site and the highest paid, actually. And he basically had a team of people saying, bit more coal on that one, <laughs> bit more coal here, you know, hold back on that. And yeah. he did that for the whole six days. Gosh, must have been a hard job, that. And the heat must have been unbearable as well, wasn't it? Because... Yeah, I think it probably got a bit smoky on the A470 as well. I can, yeah, can't see where I'm going. Yeah, yeah, shame really. The canal been very good, and because when I went to visit there, I noticed at the back there's three kilns, isn't there? So you got yes. one was fully repaired, isn't it? One nearly done. This is this is four years ago, mind. No, it's ninety. Yeah. This is so obviously I've been since. So one nearly repaired and one not repaired, if I remember yep. rightly. Is that still the? <laughs> it is, but we're we're trying to raise as much money as we can at the moment to um, the the whole site, which is now a scheduled ancient monument. Is oh, that's in good. Sort of a state of gradual deterioration every year. The frost gets in it a bit more, and the walls and things start falling down. Mm. So we're desperately trying to put a, a whole program together, which will stop any further deterioration, but also open up a lot more of the site to visitors because it's such an important site. It is. Its scheduled listing puts it in the same category as Stonehenge and Westminster Abbey. In yeah, terms of so they need to look after and it, don't so they? it really yeah. does need protecting. Because uh, if I'm right, you've come to an unusual situation, don't you? Because some of it's CAD, some of it's RCT, isn't it? It's an unusual uh, mix. <laughs> yeah, well, it, yeah, it's a bit, it's a bit com- <laughs> well, it's very complicated, really, because the, the site is owned by RCT Council. Right. Um, we are the Nankari China Works Trust. We're an independent charitable trust that have a long lease over the site. Okay. But as a scheduled monument, it's under control of CADU. Uh, and a further complication is the canal bed that runs partially through the line is actually owned by the Secretary of State for Wales. Oh. So when you add all of those things together, it's quite a complex mix oh. of ownership and oh. uh, wardenship, etc. Yeah. God, I wouldn't like trying... You'd think they'd just get together, wouldn't you? Think this is important. It's very useful. People will come to see this. Why can't we just work together, do you know what I mean, as one? Well, we're doing, but it, 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 it takes time to pull all these people together and um, yeah. you know, a, a lot of money to, to make the, even the smallest changes this to is, the scheduled site. Yeah. But um, I think we're, we're making progress. That's good. Because normally these sort of things, isn't it? You need people who've got an interest, isn't it, to push things forward. Absolutely. You, you, yeah, you, know. you need a passion and you know what's um quite unusual about us is we have uh we're run almost entirely by volunteers yes so um i i'm sort of employed here three days a week but um well three days a week but work about nine days a week um but the rest of the uh, operation is all run by a team of volunteers mm. and uh, they are all very very passionate about the place and the history and exactly today. um and we also have a number of people sort of working on site so we run um, workshops. We run yeah, I noticed that. Yeah, workshops a year. We have ceramicists. We have the only mould maker, full time mould maker in Wales, based on site, who's got a couple of apprentices. Right. So there's a, there's a lot actually to see on the site. Right. And is it was it a few years ago? I don't, I, now today I don't know if I imagined this, but I'm sure it was a few years ago. Did you uh, rediscover 
his uh, secret recipe, or is that just my imagination now? Oh, well, there <laughs> lies the story. So, uh, the porcelain which William Billingsley created was regarded as the finest ever made in the world. Right. Um, but he and all the other factories at the time would never have revealed their recipes this to is, anyone yeah. because there was so much money to be made. And we always wondered, you know, how the, how he made this porcelain, which was so white and translucent, and why he had such a failure rate. So we put a team of about 40 people together wow. um, in four universities, Gosh. Uh, industrial chemists, industrial ceramicists. We looked at all the contemporary accounts. We even found recipe books in the Victorian Albert Museum that had been written in code. Wow. <laughs> broken bits of porcelain to the forensic sciences department of the University of Bradford, wow. who analysed it. And from that, we basically, uh, if you like, re-engineered the... Um, porcelain recipe that was oh, used 200 God. years ago. Uh, all the work was done on site, and we are now remaking Nangari porcelain to the same sort of quality as was originally made. Oh, wow. That is just... And we make commissions for um, very high-end clients who will pay us several thousand pounds for a piece of the world's finest porcelain, yeah. which is, once again, made in Nangari, South Wales. That's just brilliant, that is. I love that story. I think it's great. It's like, it's like, a, it's like a fairy tale come true, isn't it, really? Do you know what I mean? Now, what I find fascinating with Nangari, because it, it goes through this change, doesn't it? And then they end up doing these... Um, I've written it down somewhere. These... Um, is it William Henry Pardue, is it? These, in 1833 with the... Stoneware yeah, bottles. So it's, it's, a, it's a bit of a bit of a, yeah, bit of a sandwich, if you like. Yeah. So we, we started off in porcelain from 1813 to 1823. <laughs> and then when this Thomas Pardo, who'd been brought in to decorate the porcelain, died, his son came on board and thought, well, we've got a bit of a pottery building here. This could be quite useful, <laughs> but I'm not going to make porcelain. That's far too complicated. I'm going to do something which is much easier and makes me more money. So he decided to make flower pots and clay smoking pipes. Yeah, there's, there's pipes against me. There's a lot of them, wasn't yeah. there? So, so the irony <laughs> is, for four years, they made the finest porcelain in the world that sold for an absolute fortune um, to the highest in the land, and they lost a fortune. Right. <laughs> and then for 90 years, right up until 1920, they made flower pots and clay smoking pipes wow. for the workers, for pennies, <laughs> and they made a very comfortable living. <laughs> Really, right up until 1920, when cigarettes had taken over yeah. from clay pipes, and you were seeing like mass yeah. production and things in Stoke on Trent, yeah. things like flower pots. Oh wow! But it's, just, it's the pipes that get me. See, it's amazing that is because that wasn't it. It's a big number, isn't it? They produce. And that they made. Yeah, Nankaru was the largest pipe making factory in Wales, and at one stage made ten thousand pipes a week. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> Each each of those made by hand, and some really beautiful ones. Some you know shaped like fish, and some yeah. of them are uh, made for uh, different clubs and societies. And you've got um, feet kicking footballs yeah. and all sorts oh, of different wow. things. It's absolutely fascinating. It is. I agree. It's like the port when you do the porcelain, like you said, because he like where he painted on the um, the porcelain the flowers and things. It's, it seems to be more. I can put this. A machine can do it, but it's like got no heart. Does that make sense? But when you do it personally, hand on, you can see it being done and crafted. It feels like uh, more... absolutely the, the, the big difference between Nankaro and pretty much the other factories is that Nankaro never used transfers or anything. Everything was all hand enameled and hand yeah. painted. And people don't realise that when you hand decorate a piece of porcelain, uh, just for the decoration, it has to be fired a minimum of six times. 
Right. I didn't so know that. The, the colours have to be built up in layers, and then when those three layers are built up, you then have to put gold on top, and the gold has to be at a lower temperature, so you have to have two gold firings. So every piece that you decorate and enamel um, has to go through the kiln so many times, and every time you put anything in the kiln, it can be destroyed. Yes. Um, and that's one of the reasons they had such problems 200 years ago. And when we make the porcelain today, we do it in exactly the same way, other than we use electric kilns rather than yeah. <laughs> kilns. Um, and that's really why it's so time-consuming and so expensive mm. for items to be made today as it was 200 years ago. But it's, as you say, it's worth the wait, isn't it? That's the thing, do you know what I mean? So, um, so you're on Facebook, that's correct, isn't it? And do you do Instagram and Twitter as well? Because I can't remember. We do, yes. Yep. Good. So it's very important that people listening to this must go on to these things to see and look at the actual pottery as well, the porcelain, because it's absolutely superb to see, isn't it? If you can get there as well, it's like, just seeing it was amazing. Absolutely. We, we, you know, it's really... It's hard to explain, really, isn't it? It means so much more if people actually visit the place and, and see where it was all made and actually see the porcelain. It's very difficult to um, yeah. get across how, how beautiful and stunning um, the porcelain is, uh, you know, over the internet or over a phone call. Exactly, or yeah. Audio or video. Uh, people really have to come over to the site and see it. And um, I don't think anyone ever visits is, is disappointed. No, um, they're not. It's, it's reassuring that our... TripAdvisor ratings are five out of five, and our yeah. Google ratings are five out of five. So, because no. when um, you go in, you've got something right. Yeah, because when you go in, you've got the you've got a uh, is it a ten minute video you can watch as well, and you've also got the model isn't it, that you've built of the actual. Yeah, and every, every visitor gets a guided tour. Yeah, that's, that's part of the package, and it's it's two pounds fifty to get in, which is mm. what the price of a cup of coffee. It is. You got um, a lovely t shirt. Guided tour of <laughs> about forty five minutes. You get to see all the site. If you're lucky, you actually see. Our ceramicist making the porcelain on site. Oh, that'd be good. Um, yeah, and we've now got a, a fantastic collection of porcelain. A lot of it is on uh, long-term loan from the National Museum mm. um, that we've got in a purpose-built cabinet upstairs. Yeah. So, um, yeah, lots to see. And you've got a lovely tea room. I remember that. <laughs> we have tea room, yeah. Um, we have workshops and oh. you can even, even buy some porcelain as well. Yeah. That's, have your dog painted on it, your wife, your oh, husband, wow. your house, that's anything good, you like. Oh, that's a good idea. Now, I didn't know that. I must look into this on my anniversary then. And, um, uh, we do a lot of, lot of anniversary presents. Oh, thank you. I'm glad you said that now. I've got that in mind now. Well done, dude. Um, and this might sound daft, but do schools ever get involved as well? You, know, you, you have your online tutorials and things, but do we, schools... We, we, uh, we teach a lot of uh, youngsters in our workshops... The th thing about schools these days is that there are so many difficulties with yeah. schools going out to different venues. This is true. Um, in terms of the cost of transportation, um, the need for all the um, security clearance and protection oh. and everything, that they tend to only go to a very small number of places. Years ago, they'd have visited lots of places. Yeah. Now they <laughs> tend to limit it to wagons yeah. or big pits or you know a couple of places. Oh, I know, yeah. So... Um, we, we'd love to have more school trips here and um, any schools that would like to visit us, please um, get in contact and um, because you know, we'll, we'll give you a fantastic time. Because that's something... Not as many as we used to get. Yeah, because it's something they're missing out. Because when you go, like I said, you come out of the house and you go down that bit where the canal is on the actual flagstones and you actually go into the place where you actually worked, isn't it, the area? And it's just like, you're there, if you see what I mean. 
thinking, yeah, gosh, yeah. we're standing here where he worked. You know? and, and, and even since you've been, there's been a lot more development. So opposite the workshop in the cellar of the house, that's now a mould-making studio. Oh, wow. Um, where we <laughs> make moulds for not only for our porcelain production, but for other people as well. Um, we actually make the moulds and the bottles for the world's most expensive gin. In the oh, summer. wow. That was for £4,500 a bottle in Harvey Nichols. Wow. <laughs> That's that way. I like the sound of that. And obviously, because of COVID and things, I suppose next year you're probably looking... Because you used to do events, you know, like, you know, Father Christmas and things like this, so... That, are these yeah, events going to come back next year? It's going to fall a bit by the wayside this yeah. year. Um, not that Father Christmas is still alive and well and active, Good. but um, <laughs> he's, he's probably going to give uh, Nankara China Works a bit of a direct miss and uh, yeah. focus on visiting uh, children in their own That's house. fair enough. Oh, it's been great, thank you. You're not going to believe this. We're finished. <laughs> We've gone to 24 minutes. So... <laughs> so <laughs> That's good, actually. So first of all, I'd like to say thank you again, Charles, for coming on. Much appreciated. Thank you for your participation. I'm just going to pause mine.